Welcome to the Healthy Returns Podcast, where I sit down with founders, investors, and executives who are innovating in health tech, fitness and wellness, and human performance. My guest today is Cece Bellis, a former professional tennis player and current managing partner at Carton Capital. In today's episode, we discuss the business of being a pro athlete, the intersection of sports and health, and what it's like being a fund manager at just 24 years old. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's episode. Hey, Cece, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to chat. Yeah, absolutely. So first off, I'd I'd love to start if you know you share with listeners um, just your background. Um, you know, coming up through junior junior tennis and USTA, and then you know becoming professional, playing the U.S. Open at only 15 years of age, and and now working in VC. Yeah, definitely. Um, quite an interesting path uh, to where I'm now and into uh, VC in general. I guess grew up in the Bay Area, Northern California. Played pretty competitive, you know, junior tennis out there. Pretty normal like pathway through um, like national juniors and then international juniors. Eventually, when I was older, ended up committing to play at Stanford and then decided to turn pro before I was supposed to go. So ended up completing my degree online with the WTA's partnership with Indiana University. Uh, while I was playing full time, um, and kind of at the tail end of that degree, I'd been injured for a little bit, and you know had been in the same cycle of the same injury for a while, and you know realistically was you know not improving too much, and and just thought you know it might be time to to move on into kind of the business world. So stopped playing, and um, right down the road from where I was training was a sports focused VC firm, and you know growing up in the Silicon Valley, VC was something that I was kind of immersed in from a young age, and was always really interested in it and wanted to get involved in it, you know, either post Stanford or post tennis career and tennis career ended a little early, had the opportunity to to get involved uh, kind of right when I stopped. And I felt like the the sports focused VC firm that I was at was, was really kind of a perfect match with my background and interests. So um, had a great time there, was there uh, almost four years. And the long-term goal was really always to start my own firm. So earlier this year, I decided to uh, jump off a cliff, so to say, and go for it. So yeah, literally just launched about two months ago. So very early days. Uh, we're starting with a 10 million fund focused on sports and health tech. Not super uh, technical on the side of health, more non-technical health and kind of sports adjacent health, more like um, you know, wellness, longevity, nutrition, those types of things, rather than biotech, pharma. We're a pretty lean team. I'm a solo GP and I have eight advisors that are really hands-on in kind of day-to-day operations, each of them having a different um, kind of area of expertise, whether it's in business, sports, media, health, kind of, you know, filling in any gap that I felt like we needed on the expertise side of things. And our fund structure is really flexible. So we can look at any company early stage. And, you know, we're we're really excited about kind of the seed and series A markets right now, especially with kind of the IPO market opening back up. But those are the sectors we'll, we'll really be focusing on and then kind of early stage on that side of things. Wow, that's that's awesome. You know, a couple of questions just based on that. So being like a professional tennis player, right? You're you have your sponsorships and endorsements, but ultimately like your own you're your own brand. Is that something that you kind of, you know, take like take all the learnings and the knowledge that you gained from uh being on tour for um for a bunch of years and then now bringing that into, you know, your role as GP for Carton Capital? It's funny, you know, I get asked this question a lot. I think there's so many similarities between professional sports and and business, no matter what kind of area of business you go into, you put a ton of work in and, and, you know, really take the time to try and be, you know, an expert at what you're doing, you're going to be able to reap the benefits and rewards from that, you know, tennis being kind of a a high pressure sport, um, you know, during certain points of a match and things like that, I was able to take, you know, those qualities, I think as well. Also managing a team um, is kind of like running a business also. So, you know, I had a bunch of team members and, 
um, kind of leading that ship is something that I'm taking into my new role. And then, but yeah, really, you know, a lot of similarities across the board and taking a lot of those qualities, I think that I learned from tennis and, and bringing them into VC. How important was that uh, partnership that the WTA had with East Indiana um, University and just allowing you to transition um, into like higher education? Education was such an important part of my life, you know, since since um, I was very young, you know, something that uh, I always focused on um, and thought it was a, a really important piece of just growing up. I was really lucky that they that they ended up partnering with IU the same year that I turned pro, which was like the craziest coincidence. I was worried that, you know, after turning down Stanford, was I really going to be able to continue my, you know, educational career? And I was immediately after. So I'm now completing my MBA as well. So um was super, super fortunate to have that partnership to be able to kind of propel me into a new career and just kind of have that safety net, which I ended up needing. That's awesome. I love to see like when major sports organizations like have that sort of partnership. So you mentioned in in regards to health and kind of where where your um, VC is going to be focusing on investing in. You mentioned that less on the biotech pharma side, more on nutrition, longevity, wellness. And I always think that's funny because when you said that, you know, those things require like to be less technically, um, you know, sound. Like I almost, it's funny to me because I almost think like those should be the focuses of our current day healthcare system. It's not. How are you going about, you know, maybe partnering with people that are experts in this space? And are you looking more towards the consumer health market then? Because I feel like consumer health products are focused on those general terms of like health, longevity, nutrition. Yeah, great question. And I think what I meant about the technical side is, you know, really having to have a knowledge of like a medical background to understand it a bit better and, you know, a higher education background in health to really, you know, fully understand like those markets of, of you know, like we mentioned, biotech, pharma. And it's not something I have. That's why we're staying away from that. And, you know, even bringing on advisors that do have expertise in that area we still feel that it's, you know, kind of niche area of, of, you know, needing such a specific area of expertise that it's um, a little bit kind of outside of our wheelhouse. Longevity, wellness, nutrition, fitness, digital fitness, um, you know, looking at a lot of a lot of uh, different subsectors, I guess, under under that kind of wellness um, bucket. So, you know, we're looking at consumer, we're looking at B2B, um, not super strict on our thesis on that end of go-to-market strategy, but um, yeah, you know, I, I really like the the kind of um, that sector of health. And, you know, I'm a whoop wearer. I'm such a huge fan. I've been wearing it since um, I was actually one of their first like athlete uh, adopters of whoop, which is awesome um, back in like 2016 or something. And so I'm, I'm like a diehard fan and I love anything like wearables, you know, anything that you're really able to track, like your body's, you know, different, um, I guess, like biometrics and data points. That's something that really, really interests me. And I think there's a, a huge market, um, especially going forward, where consumers are really going to want to even, you know, quantify those data points even further and get, you know, dive deeper into it. So yeah, we, you know, love to look at that space and something that we'll be definitely looking at going forward. I'm, I'm so glad you brought up Whoop. I mean, I, it's funny. I thought I was an early adopter. I got abandoned like 2020, um, kind of right when uh, the pandemic was uh, really starting up. But 2016 is definitely early, early <laughs> for sure. You know, given uh, your history with a wearable such as Whoop and having access to those data points, you obviously used the data points and the insights that you gained from Whoop in a different way and for a different purpose. Like it was for your tennis career and, you know, being better on the court. Now, in contrast, I, I feel like the average consumer is not going to be in that position. Where do you see the 
biggest application for consumers that, you know, maybe, you know, they're not professional athletes. Maybe they just like going to the gym a couple of times, a, a couple times a week. Well, yeah, that's me now, right? Yeah. You know, I was formerly a professional athlete and now I love running. I like going to the gym, you know, different things like that. And I think I'm like a good example of a not professional athlete now that still uses it to track their biometrics. And I think, you know, it's such a, an interesting kind of world, I guess, because I think it's pretty well known that, you know, whoop data points are fairly inaccurate. Same with Aura. Aura's um, kind of scored a little bit better than whoop, actually. I've never tried Aura, but I've heard it's awesome. And so I think, you know, for me, I know that it's like a little bit inaccurate, but it's like my baseline of like inaccurate that I know is like my normal inaccurate, you know what I mean? So I can check, you know, what my baseline um, HRV resting heart rate is, you know, every day. That's great for me just to be able to see, you know, how I slept, how I recovered maybe from a run the previous day, things like that. And I think consumers are are really wanting that now, you know, with technology and these types of wearables, we're able to track so many different data points. I think it's a way for people to understand if they're um, kind of in good shape or like healthy or like continuing, you know, good habits. And I think it's a really habit forming device of like continuing to work out, continuing to be healthy because it, it really tells you when you're not, it's something that people are using for longevity purposes and just overall health purposes. Could you now maybe talk about, you know, you'd mentioned it was an original $10 million fund for your initial fund and it's a pledge fund from what I understand. Right. So mm-hmm. can you just maybe talk through what that is and, um, how that kind of almost de-risks like your original, you know, intention of even starting a fund. For sure. Um, so I'm 24, not going to be super easy to raise <laughs> a normal fund right now, especially with market conditions, even though they're, they're getting slightly better, better, but you know, a pledge fund is, uh, kind of a nice way for an emerging fund manager to dip their toe in the water, I guess, and be able to gain that solid traction to be able to raise normal committed funds in the future. But at its core, basically what happens is a, an LP, a limited partner, pledges to invest a certain amount of money over the lifetime of the deployment period of the fund. And in our case, that's going to be about two and a half, three years-ish on the 10 million. So they pledge to invest that amount that amount over the, the lifetime of that two and a half, three years. And I will bring opportunities to them that I've you know done all the diligence, I'll present everything to them, and they have the ability to opt in or opt out of any investment that I bring forward in addition to determining how much capital they want to allocate towards each investment that I bring forward. So say I bring, you know, an investment forward and I have interest from LPs, then I'll pull their money into an SPV and invest it directly into the company that way. So doing it that way and, you know, kind of making it, like you said, a a less risky approach for an LP to come on board. And, you know, it's really going to be um, individuals and angel investors that I have on board. That's who I have on board already um, for the portion that I do have committed and those people are really looking to get involved in the in VC in the sports and health markets, um, you know, normally because they see those those growing, you know, exponentially in, in the next uh, 10 years or, so, or more. And, you know, it, it's great because it's a it's a really collaborative way to work with my LPs. It, it's great at, you know, forming, you know, super awesome relationships with with these LPs and long term relationships as well. But, you know, they have the final decision in the end with all the information that I present. So it's it's a nice model for, for a first-time fund manager. And, you know, down the line, the, the goal is to raise committed funds. But um, I'm loving what what this is uh, kind of bringing to the table right now. Congratulations. Just if I haven't said that already. I'm, that's, <laughs> Thanks. That's super, that's super uh, exciting. And I'm, I'm sure you'll have, you'll be busy for the, for the next few years for sure, though. 
That's the goal. <laughs> yeah. Are there companies that you are looking at as prospective portfolio companies in the future? So we have about 30% of the fund committed. We're going to get one deal in before the end of the year, uh, targeting kind of early November. So in about a month from now, we have about four that we're looking at pretty closely mm -hmm. um, and in kind of later stages of diligence with. So it'll be one of those four um, that we get in before the end of the year. And then we'll continue fundraising and investing um, at the start of next year as well. Are there hopes like from your end to to stay connected to the tennis community by investing in sports tech and even more specifically like tennis technology? Absolutely. I want to support, you know, tennis as, as much as possible. It's given so much to me and I definitely want to give back as much as I can. Um, so, yeah, we, we look at tennis companies and, you know, uh, what's really interesting is tennis companies that will move into other sports to um, kind of have that market opportunity be a little larger. So that's kind of what we're um, really focusing on on that side of things. Are there any are there any ones that you'd be like willing to share that like excite you or that you you've kind of had your eye on? Yeah. So actually at the last firm, we invested in a company called Break the Love. They're, they have a really interesting model, but they're moving into other sports as well. And so that was kind of the main draw from them. Um, I've looked at a, a ton of other kind of tennis specific companies um, that are interesting, but we we kind of struggle with the market opportunity for a company that's only looking to stay in tennis, if that makes sense. You know, tennis is a, a huge sport, but it's not as big as like a uh, football or basketball um, or, you know, golf, things like that. So um, really looking at like tennis specific companies that are looking to, you know, move their tech into different sports or other areas. Yeah. I mean, as you said, like, I feel like especially in the U.S., tennis is not as big as some of those other sports. Globally, maybe it's different. I mean, I guess tennis is what the third most popular sport worldwide, but it's also, I mean, and uh, you can definitely correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like the general like attitude towards tennis is different uh, in different parts of the world. Like in the U.S., it still kind of holds that like almost like country club feel, um, whereas in other um, countries, you know, that's like if people can get their hands on a racket, then, you know, they'll hit a ball against the wall or whatever. So it's very different from that end. And it's it's really interesting to think about. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting concept. I think, you know, um, tennis in the US, it, like you said, is it's a much different mindset towards tennis. And um, I think viewership rates reflect that for sure compared to other sports. So yeah, definitely hoping to, to grow that as much as possible in the US. And that's kind of where our, our comfort zone is for investing is really North America, specifically the US. Um, but, you know, looking globally as well. But yeah, really kind of our, our bread and butter, I guess, is that that US North America market. I mean, I guess we've kind of touched on this already. But could you maybe talk about further intersections between like sports and health and how you're kind of looking at those two um, together? Underneath those two uh, verticals, we look at four sub-verticals, so two in each that we feel that we can bucket every deal under. So number one under sports is sports performance. So that's, you know, data analytics, you know, AI uh, applications in sport, um, you know, ways to track athletes' performance, uh, a lot of different things kind of under that under that umbrella. Um, the second bucket under sports is fan engagement. So that could be like in-stadium experiences, um, different like ways to engage Gen Z fans a little bit better. And we feel like anything that we see in sport can be categorized into one of those two um, buckets under sport. And then on the health side of things, our first bucket is health and medical. So that's more kind of... Um, like medical applications, I guess, um, more on the technical side of things. We won't look at anything, or I guess we we don't see a ton or don't dive deep into a ton of those deals, but there are, you know, definitely some outliers that we will take a look at that we feel that we have like a significant, 
you know, knowledge uh, of that space. And then the fourth bucket and the second under health is um, wellness and lifestyle. So that's kind of where we see that, you know, longevity, that nutrition, um, the mental health, femtech, you know, things like that. So there's uh, those kind of four buckets that we feel like we can, I guess, bucket every deal that we, you know, see into, into one of those areas. And I guess just um, is a way for us to like organize our deal flow into four um, separate sub verticals. Are, are there certain, like, I mean, I, I guess not singular experiences, but just again, learnings from your time as an athlete that you've kind of applied to the four buckets that you'd mentioned. Obviously the fan engagement thing is a bit different because people were watching you, right? You were not the fan, you were, you know, you were the player in the arena. There are applications in, in each of those areas that I can take from my sports career. Obviously, you know, seeing different data points on the sports performance side from training or even on court things. Um, and then that could even be, um, you know, rehab applications that also could be on the health and medical side, but, um, crossover into that sports performance side of things. So like recovery, you know, things like that, super interesting for us, fan engagement, you know, we, as athletes, we know that sports betting is a thing. Um, and we were aware <laughs> that it's going on, you know, each, each match, you know, just trying to seek out kind of new innovative solutions in fan engagement or sorry, in sports betting. Um, we've seen, you know, the, the big players out there for a while, the DraftKings, the fan duels, but we really feel that, you know, kind of with, uh, the fact that they're pretty unprofitable, um, with their high kind of lifetime value to customer acquisition cost ratio. Um, that's something that, you know, we've researched a lot and we feel like it can get a lot better in that space. So that's something we're, we're definitely focused on. And then I mentioned kind of the rehab side, um, for the health and medical and just being able to, um, yeah, I guess just track like body composition, different things like that is super interesting for us um, from a training like perspective from an athlete. And then, you know, wellness, I think it's, it's great to have like different, you know, mental training or mental um, wellness solutions, things like that. I used, uh, you know, I had a mental coach at the USTA that I, I worked with a couple times a week. That was really helpful. And, you know, nutrition is is huge as an athlete, being able to understand that what you eat is kind of how your body is going to perform. Um, is really important. So seeking out a ton of different, you know, nutrition solutions. No, I, I love what you said about, about the mental coaching thing. I, when I explain to people like, you know, tennis and like the mental aspect, um, I feel like it cannot be overstated enough. I always tell people like, I, I probably have the most conversations with myself, like in my head, um, you know, more than I do with any other person in my life. So with that mental coaching side, uh, I find that really interesting because, a lot of people, you know, have their personal trainers or their, you know, fitness coaches where they're going to go in the gym and the coaches are going to take them through a physical workout. But not, not many people really have that mental coach, but it's equally, if not more important in managing mental and emotional health and stress. Is that something that you guys will be looking at? Like if there's, you know, platforms such as Headspace that kind of act as like a quote unquote coach for people for mental health? You know, it's interesting that you you kind of mentioned that. So yeah, it was great. USTA was very big on, you know, kind of having that uh, mental coach be incorporated into, you know, your daily, weekly training routine. And, you know, obviously still having that on court that, you know, in the gym type coaches, but, you know, adding in that kind of extra layer. And I think it, it helps so much. So we actually do see a lot of apps and different solutions that are trying to help athletes, um, you know, with, with their mental side of things. So definitely something we're looking at. We haven't found anything that we feel is like an all encompassing solution quite yet, but definitely looking. Yeah, that all-encompassing part is really key because with health and wellness today, it's like 
it's never just about one pillar. It's never just about the nutrition or just about the exercise and movement. It's kind of everything kind of informs everything, which, which is important to realize when I feel like looking at companies that maybe just have solutions on, on one or two ends of, of that whole spectrum yeah totally i actually uh i saw this on on your linkedin that you'd reposted it was like a, a piece from the financial times that discussed the similarities between tennis and investing basically saying that to be good at either you have to both minimize risk but you know still take chances when when you can so as you step into this new role with with carton capital um where do you see like your both personal and professional like upside and then also like what are some of the risks that you know you may be taking on being only 24 and stepping into this very big role being a fund manager that's a really great question um so i think you know upside i guess uh what i'm like trying to bring to the firm is that perspective from an athlete angle um there's you know not a ton of pro athletes that are gps of funds so trying to bring that area of expertise uh to the forefront as much as possible in addition to you know my incredible advisory board and and what they're bringing to the table so i think team on our end is is really one of our strongest competitive moats in addition to kind of the way we go about diligence and investing in general um, and just our thought process, I think, is is different than a lot of um, other VCs, which is great. And again, that kind of fund model being collaborative with LPs is is going to be awesome. And I think just um, create better returns from us uh, in the future. So um, super excited about that. And then, yeah, on the risk side of things, like like you said, um, 24, <laughs> um, looking to fill big shoes uh, as a fund manager for sure. But, you know, with my experience in VC, in addition to um, kind of bringing in um, uh, different I guess um, qualities from my athlete background, I think is, um, you know, a, a really strong, uh, you know, gives us a really strong position. Um, so we're, we're really focused on kind of our, our expertise and our team on that side of things. But yeah, you know, trying to minimize as much risk as possible in VC, you're never going to um, have a perfect portfolio of all winners. It's never going to happen. <laughs> An angel investor, a GP, a, a VC, you know, they're never going to have a track record of 100%, you know, perfect home runs. It's it's never going to happen. So being able to understand that, you know, when you go for it in, um, you know, a high risk, high reward uh, industry like VC, you're going to have a ton of losses, you know, it's, it's inevitable, but it's those, it's VC power law, right? Where, you know, a couple of those, um, you know, I guess companies in your portfolio really return the entire portfolio and more and give the carry. It's not the most that you invest in that, you know, either Deadpool or give you, you know, kind of, I guess, like a single or a double back. Well, I thank so much, Cece. This was, this was definitely a great conversation. If people, you know, want to follow along, uh, what's the best way for them to do that? Our website is carton-capital.com. We have an Instagram, carton underscore capital. Our Twitter is carton capital, but our LinkedIn, I think is an awesome way to, to kind of get in touch with us. Uh, we're also starting a newsletter, either be a monthly or bi-weekly um, newsletter, kind of focusing on a trend in sports or health. Amazing. I really appreciated you sharing both your, your story kind of, um, you know, through the professional athlete journey and then um, now being at Carton Capital and just congratulations again on, on the new fund and definitely, definitely excited to see uh, the different types of companies that, that you guys are backing. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Great conversation. Thanks so much, Cece.